0: welcome back to another episode of the real ballers read podcast we're here with very two incredible exciting guests uh, ramunda and derek young so ramunda and derek are the founders and co-owners of my favorite bookstore mahogany books which is a local independent bookstore based in Washington, D.C. that believes in social entrepreneurship. They take a leadership role in the African-American community by promoting reading, writing and cultural awareness as tools to improve self-esteem, self-love and ultimately our communities to enrich the lives of motivated individuals. And also quick plug, they are some of the greatest sneaker gods. I know they, they, they pulling out the drip when it comes to the shoes. You know what I'm saying? Hey. So uh, yeah, Ramunda and Derek, so great to have you here. Welcome. Uh, how are you doing today? Thank you. We're great,
1: fantastic. Uh, someone, this newbie sneak your head over here is. Uh... <laughs> oh, you the know, only I'm,
2: I'm a sneaker pimp. Stress. He's a sneaker pimp. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm loving my kick game now. So he's been messing with me a little
0: bit. I don't know. The first time I met both of y'all, I was like, wait, what are they? I was like, yo. <laughs>
2: I don't even remember. What was that? White
0: shoe? shoes. Yeah. You were wearing Jordans. uh
1: like that. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, that's my... That's your go-to? To? Yeah, at least the ones. The ones are go my go-to. That's <laughs> my
2: favorite. Yeah, it's right. been a long time. I'm, I'm new to the legit sneaker game. I've always enjoyed sneakers, but yeah. So, but yeah. yeah. But thank you for having us talking about books, and especially Black books. So, thank for you. Sure, sure. Thank you for the space.
0: The two of you brought some very interesting books uh, for us to talk about on the show uh asada an autobiography and revolutionary suicide which is huey newton's autobiography um but you know we'd love to start with you ramunda so uh you were the one that picked asada could you tell us when you first found the book and you know why it hit you the way it did
2: wow that's a good question i want to say i found the book when i was in college i was over 25 20 something years ago maybe 30 years ago almost that um, because growing up, I'm from Tulsa, grew up actually near Black Wall Street, never knew Black Wall Street existed, even wow. walking distance from my house until I got older. Um, and so when I went to college, shout out to Langston University, HBCU in Oklahoma,
3: hey, um,
2: is when I really, <laughs> hating on my HBCU over here, he went to HBCU, <laughs> we're always messing with each other. Um but when I attended Langston's, when I really found out about me and my history and the books that really reflected who I was as a woman, as a black woman, as a queen, as a as a thought leader, right? I, I wasn't exposed to those books growing up in you know middle school and elementary and high school. And I went to dynamic schools, some of the best in the state, entire state, right? But I wasn't exposed to that. That was those books that really ref- reflected me. And so going to Langston University was this awakening on a lot of levels for me. And books was one of those ways that I was awakened. We had a a center there that's still there now, it was the Melvin B. Tolson Black Heritage Center. And only a select few of kids was going in. There was the kids with the locks, it seems like the kids with the braids, the froze, but they just kind of naturally migrated to this um, Black Heritage Center. excuse me, and in that center were all these books and they were behind the counter, right? So you'd have to go up to the desk and ask for the books. And so you couldn't, you didn't have the, you know, the ability to just browse, you have to go in there knowing, you know, what to look for, ask for. So um, a good friend of mine was reading Asada and I was like, what's that, you know, what is that? Just the Mm -hmm. cover, even here, you know, I have a picture of the cover here, just this amazing woman. And those of you who will listen to the podcast will be able to go and, and see a picture of the book. Um, but, you know, with the red, black, and green, the pan-African colors on it. But um, it was just I. It was just a captivating cover for me. So just that alone had me interested in reading it. And so back in college is where I started reading books about me, like I said, about my culture and about community, about the Black Panthers. You know, I would hear a little bit about, but to actually deep dive into it was then. And I was blown away for a lot of different reasons. I know we'll chat about it, but I was blown away from one to see a woman of this type of strength, this type of boldness, even the most crazy situations that she was in, to still be holding her own, right, in some of those spaces. And so for me as a young Black woman to see that, um, it spoke volumes to me. I'd never seen that type of strength, even though she went through just crazy moments, um, moments that many of us probably wouldn't have been able to, to make it through, especially mentally, let alone physically. Um, and that inspired me, her strength and her ability to, to rise out of that really inspired me.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So wait, were you, were you rocking the fro, uh, in college? Hey,
2: you (laughs) you know what? You know, when I got to college, my freshman year I had this bomb layered bob with the back shaved. I thought, I'd, you know, <laughs> and that was freshman year In sophomore year. I started growing my hair out. Actually, before I got let me back up before I got to college, I had two strand twists that look very similar to, to locks. two strand twists most of my years in high school. But then I was like, I'm going to college. I need to, you know, go back to the straight bob and layered because, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to reinvent myself <laughs> a little bit going to college. Right. <laughs> but the year, probably my sophomore year, I went back to two strand twists and I had for a little, I don't want to say a fro, but I had like a little natural that I always had wrapped up. So you didn't get the full girth of a fro.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: I did the Bantu knots. I did braids. So it was all of college and my hair was natural except my freshman year. Okay. And it made me stand out, you know, to be honest, from everybody else in Oklahoma. Everybody's like, where are you from? Are you from the East Coast? I'm like, no, I'm just down the street from Tulsa, you know, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But I always had, I guess, a different um, look from everybody else there. And so, yeah, but no fro, just natural twist and different styles.
0: Right. Awesome. So uh, before we get into too many questions about Asada, because there's, there's a lot here, uh, we'd love to hear from you, Derek, about why Revolutionary Suicide was that book that really resonated with you. When did you first pick it up?
1: Um, I picked it up, I wanna say uh, 97, when I was at Bowie State University um, myself, I was working at a bookstore, at a black owned bookstore. And um, I was, I found myself while I was working there, was trying to, of course, first of all, that was the first time I'd ever seen uh, that many books um, written by for and about black folk concentrated in one retail location, right? Just walking in there and just being confronted with that was just like, I knew right then I wanted to work there. And I asked that if he ended up being an owner, I was like, are you hiring? Like right then on the spot, I wanted to work there. Um, so during my time there, I found myself going through different um, themes of... Uh, you know, interest that I've always had. I would start with religion, I would do poetry. um, And I got to, I realized I hadn't read anything, didn't know anything really about the Black Panther Party. Um, So I started the process of reading uh, different um, biographies and autobiographies. I read Asada and absolutely loved it. And really I I encourage any guy to read that book because I think it helps to check toxic masculinity helps us to see it through the eyes of a woman who is in the fight for everyone's freedom and we're still oppressing them, right? Mm -hmm. When they're standing right beside us. So reading uh, Asada and Elaine Brown's um, A Taste of Power really just kind of made me, it was the first time I had to like think differently. Um, So I absolutely love uh, that book as well. But then I happened upon Revolutionary Suicide uh, by Huey P. Newton. And of course, the first thing that attracted me to it was this uh, contradiction of of a title. Um, So I set out uh, to read it. And I'm going to tell you that manifesto uh, at the beginning of the book, it absolutely changed my life. Right From that point on, it helped to. Put into words, crystallize exactly what I want, how I wanted to live my life, um, and it it just, yeah. Without that book, I don't know if I'm uh, as if I have the same kind of commitment to uh, to you know our community, to um, empowering people to actually uh, live a life that leaves a legacy of impact of an import as I would be and that's what that um, book did for me it uh, you know reading the rest of his story he dealing with a lot of contradictions you know of who he was as a person right um, where he started out at and we where, where he ended up at is you know a tragedy you know in terms of you know just was that uh, how stories are written you have this moment and a protagonist ends up in a very bad situation um so that definitely was uh again a big learning point for me touched on for me there um, in terms of how you can make decisions and even though you're starting out in the right direction you can make decisions that ultimately veer you off into a place where you had no intention of being but um his purpose of truly wanting to live a life and if i have to if i have to i don't like to say it like this but if i have to die right what am i willing to put my life on a line for right i'm not just going to take my life i'm going to live it and make a sacrifice for something that um is worth it so if it's for my wife for my daughter for my parents right those are the people that i'm going to um those are, are are the are the things that uh, require uh, that type of sacrifice.
4: Derek uh, really just went in there, uh, but something came up, and so we had to pick up recording the next week. And so here is the rest of the podcast conversation. Hope you enjoyed. Thank you. Both in Huey Noon's and Asada's stories, I think you know are the importance of of reading and like these these books particularly kind of brought to mind the uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates quote where he says, um, I was made for the library, not, not the classroom. The classroom was a jail of other people's interests. The library was open, unending free. Because I find that like black people end up finding in books the, the freedom that they wish that they had in school, but, but school just is so confining and, and really not meant for us. We just talked about uh, the miseducation of the of uh, the Negro Carter G. Watson's book last weekend, mm-hmm. um, and I think even that book too encapsulates that that same problem, where schools again are limiting and books aren't. So, do you guys have like experiences in uh, school that you know weren't as free or open as you you find in books or? What do you think the difference is between school and like your edu- your education?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I love this quote. I'm sorry, I usually let you first. I
2: know, I was like, what? This he usually
1: is, lets me go first,
2: he really does. This. <laughs> this do your thing,
1: husband, I see you. and then he's just like <laughs> Well, because it's so, what, it's so um, head on for today, right? Mm-hmm. We have all these people the minority of folk screaming about how CRT, critical race theory, is damaging their kids. But the people who are, who are screaming this are white folk mm-hmm. because in school, they are being affirmed in the education, right? Mm. Their history is being taught uh, to uplift them, to tell them they are the pioneers of freedom, that they stand for what's just and for for what's right. But Black folk, we're introduced in school as slaves. Our first introduction that we get to ourselves, I remember when I was growing up, dude, this was sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade. I remember Dred Scott. That was my introduction to Black folk in history about a slave being brought back, right? Mm -hmm. So my first introduction to myself in history is slavery. So, no, I don't see myself um, fully in school's curriculum, right? I don't. Next time I see myself is civil rights movement. So it's all about my trauma. It's all about me being a victim. They tell, they want to sell us on TV. Oh, you're being a victim. You're teaching us that. So I don't give a dang what they say. When I found the bookstore that was selling nothing but books and all the shelves were full Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. again that's what defines me today because i saw myself like damn i'm sorry i don't know if i can correct but (laughs) i'm really emotional about it like there's more to me yeah right to be able to walk into a store and it was a small little store but the shelves were full lined with books and the impact on me was i'm seen I have a place, mm-hmm. Black Books. Mm-hmm. It was a Black bookstore mm-hmm. with nothing but Black books about me. Amiri Baraka, Leroy Jones. I didn't know they was the same person. Mm-hmm. I came out booty, right? I'm sitting there like, oh my God, what is all of this stuff from? And I, so from right there, I was like, I need to work here. Mm-hmm. I asked the guy who was hiring. It just so happened to be the owner. I walked in and five minutes, do you have a job?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And when I was working there, I went from section to section to section reading books about me. I went from revolutionary to African American studies to religion, to poetry, to fiction, just because this was something I had never encountered before. So of course I found myself in a place that fully talked about who I was. You go to school and hey, you know, Harry Tubman, Malcolm X, Malcolm X. Well, not Malcolm X, he was oh, a little sorry, too Martin revolutionary, King. right? King. Yes. Martin Luther King, but don't even want to teach him properly, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to tell you that they hated him. Oh, peace and love and justice, but you was beating his head in. There was a dude, a George Washington professor, just this week, mm. just this week, a G.W. professor. This fool said. Uh, MLK, he was talking about the trucker protests in Canada. It's like, so now if we're going to be arresting people who are demonstrating peacefully and using nonviolent protest uh, uh, tactics, you know, we should have just might as well been arresting uh, Martin Luther King. People are like, <laughs> idiot! <laughs> he wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail. They arrested him all the time. Wow. So this is the issue, yeah. right? This is the core of why we exist. And he's a professor. Right. He's a professor mm-hmm. at a prestigious university. I'm sorry. This is
2: you just got up, man.
1: I know, but this 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 is what <laughs> this is what bothers me so much about this entire mm-hmm. conversation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't care about our history. It matters how they look. It matters that they get to be the heroes in their story. Mm -hmm. And now we're saying bump that. Mm -hmm. When I read Huey Newton, I was like, I'm seeing. I read Mm Asada. I read Elaine Brown, A Taste of Power.
2: Did you do Soledad Brothers? I didn't
1: do Soledad Brothers, not yet. I mean, when I started reading about Egyptians and learn about Kush and people that came before Egyptians who were studying, Mm -hmm. they, they learned from the Nubians. Mm-hmm. Right, they were building step pyramids before. Like this is stuff I had no idea,
2: and no one was trying to. And teach no
1: one it was to trying it. to teach it to me. Yep. So yes, I found myself more fully, and I, and less. I'm gonna be uh, specific about this. Not even in the library, and I grew up in D.C. P.G. County, majority black areas. So even their collection wasn't fully representative of my history. I found it in a place by an entrepreneur who believed that there needed to be more books about black folk in a community. Mm -hmm. And when I walked into his store, I saw myself. And from that moment forward, it changed the the trajectory of my life, Mm. right? So yes, I found myself, my freedom not in school,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I found it in a place that focused on Black folk, and made Black folk the center of attention using books.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would drop a mic, but we need to be on the mic, so. <laughs> but I, you know, my, i give you a fan. So, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I am, I love it just, it. Don't, it bothers I have... me so yeah. much. Yeah, I think too, I, I grew up in Tulsa and um, right near Black Wall Street. So grew up there, born in Arkansas, but to know that my family and my family still lives there and our house, my parents' house is blocks away from Black Wall Street. And here we are going to school. I went to the top school, one of the top schools in Oklahoma, not even just my city, but in the entire state. Um, and the entire state And I mean, academic prowess, uh, sports, I mean, ranked high nationally on a lot of things. And rarely all throughout my matriculation from elementary and up, did I ever really hear about Black Wall Street. I don't even think I realized Black Wall Street was around the corner from my house because nobody was teaching me that. And and I talk up to a lot of my friends from elementary and middle school, and you talk about one of the biggest and defining moments in Black people's lives in history, not even just Black history, but Mm. in history, to know that communities live where it was fully black run and we don't hear about it in history books and we're right there steps away from that that's that we talk about education and what you know how do we feel about it i didn't learn about that history until i went on to a hbcu to Lane's university so yeah but schools wow. have an opportunity to teach a holistic approach to history you're gonna call it American history? Talk about America. That stuff, Black Washington, was in America. It wasn't in a third world country. So to like, we're gonna we're gonna keep out this part of your, the history and we're gonna add in this piece of the history. Like, is it gonna be a call American history is gonna be called something else. And I'm not gonna say what it could be called but that's not American history, right? We're getting just the pieces that they want us to hear. And I'll, I'll read this since Miles read his quote. I'm gonna read this quote from a side that I thought that so many people mm-hmm. That really, I think, talks about it, but what we were saying and how I felt. But it says, she says, no one is going to give you the education you need to overthrow them. No mm-hmm. one's gonna give you that.
1: Mm-hmm. Nobody's
2: gonna teach you your true history, teach you your true heroes if they know that not that knowledge will help set you free. Mm-hmm. So we're going to the schools thinking, oh, teach us this. They're not going to teach us this. Mm-hmm. And whether it's their own self-preservation, whether it's their own insecurities, what, you know, that's the whole deep conversation of the psychosis of why we're not going to teach you that. When we're gonna talk about American history, you can show up fully as yourself by knowing the things and contributions that you make because we get to show up fully as ourselves, right? So to have that breakdown not occur and we have to go to school and learn about all these people that great, we should know about, we should know about Pocahontas and, and Stanley Jackson, all, all these different people, Um, we can learn about that. That's part of American history, but also the same validity stands for ASADA, stands for um, Zora Neale Hurston, stands for that too, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about American history. So the biggest thing is, we're not talking about American history. We talk about when we hear about what the fight is going on now, Mm -hmm. when people want to limit American history because it's too rough. Well, I don't want to get all hyped Mm -hmm. like brother Derek over here, but Mm -hmm. it's it's just crazy. And so now, He worked at a bookstore when he was in college years i didn't even know him he existed when he worked at that that bookstore and then we you know i existed either right (laughs) i didn't know he existed and then fast forward years i meet this brother on the dance floor in dc at a nightclub we connected talked he was on my phone for hours every day chatting building talking and then i end up working for the same bookstore in a leadership role and he was going on to college did other things but they brought me on to assist with operations and same bookstore because when I walked into that that bookstore they had several stores at that point when he worked he was still helping them build out their their first yeah, the, the first three stores so fast forward we connect and uh, when I walked into their store it was in Bowie Town Center and I was just shook Coming from Oklahoma, had never seen that many black books on a shelf. I mean, I worked at the big box store, the biggest big you know box bookstore chain there is still out there. I worked for them. Then mm-hmm. um, I worked for this black bookstore. And I worked for Howard University bookstore. So I've been in books, but before in those spaces to go into that bookstore and see me on the shelves to see that many stories. I just knew it was some other stuff infused on those shelves, but it was all me, all black people, all our stories, all our triumphs all our innovation, all of our thought leaders, all of that, and not just civil rights and slavery. So mm-hmm. when you talk about schools and why you know in, in education, we have an, an opportunity, I say obligation because when I go back to Asada, we can't expect to be taught that. So we have to take that onus up on ourselves to teach our kids to expose our kids, to expose our community. It's people 78 years old because of that, The the education system we're talking about never was exposed to those books, but to have a bookstore um, in the D.C. area to have two, to have an online presence that ships books all across the nation for us is deeper than just entrepreneurship, deeper than just economy and money. It's reshaping. It's re it's re um, not just reshaping our minds, but also um, instilling some values that we were never taught and that taught that teaching is how do we see ourselves bigger than just slavery bigger than just outcasts bigger than just just trodden down people so that was a long answer but that's how we feel it good morning hey.
3: <laughs> good morning yo good morning <laughs> yeah.
4: no yeah like that importance of uh african context outside of our trauma is so so important and i i feel like i still haven't even gotten that yet i feel like i've kept a lot of my own reading very you know. American centered and right. I, I still feel I don't even have much knowledge of, of our like pre-enslaved past. Um right, because like in 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 school, we were just studying Greece and Rome yeah. and Hello? right great white societies. And then I think we we did cover Egypt for a year, but right, it's not really seen as connected with us. It's like they like try and make it as like, oh, you know, and they even try and claim it as as white, you know. Uh, you know, they, they've battled for Cleopatra for, for like years. Yeah. Um, trying, trying their dar- darnest. So yeah, th- this is why we uh, really, really appreciate and um, see the future and what, and what N- Nicole Hannah Jones is doing with her freedom schools. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, you know what, like y'all aren't going to teach my stuff, like the way I can teach it best. And so we have to set up our own curriculums, our own schools, to like do this well, uh because like you know, she, her her project has, has been right, the big kind of card controversy.
1: So I mean there's this, you know, I this really um got me amped up. Uh, and <laughs> and it's a like so even what 1619, the response to the 1619 project. Um, yeah and all of that it represents, right? And, and I was, I should make a, a small adjustment to my earlier statement. The other person I learned about was Crispus Attucks, mm-hmm. right? The first black man, well, the first person to die in a Revolutionary War, right? Mm-hmm. He died for uh, the cause of freedom, right? But the way they talk about it what, is American freedom. We don't talk about Nat Turner, Mm -hmm. right, dying for the cause of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about all the other freedom fighters who led slave revolts. Right, We don't talk about David Walker uh, and his uh, appeal that was sparking insurrections all throughout the South, which led to a lot of the uh, literacy bans, why Black folk weren't allowed to read because Mm -hmm. they was reading his letters he wrote four letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sent them into the South. Mm-hmm. I love this dude. This dude was freaking awesome, right? Uh, like there's so much about him that is like hugely controversial—not controversial, Not controversial mm-hmm. but. Um, could put, I love this guy. <laughs> four letters, purposefully, you know. Uh, he was hitting the web in Boston, I believe it was. Created a print shop, printed up these letters. Uh, had worked with some. Um, seamen, I forget what their actual name is, hmm. but they you know, took stuff up and down a, the coast on by water, infiltrated the letters into the South, and then passed them to all of the enslaved folk with the intention of inciting insurrections. And it worked. And the white folk were like, oh my god, what's going on? What's going on? They find his letters, people are reading them. Oh, OK, we can't do this no more. Y'all can't read. Right. So, when you look at it, I forget uh, Louisiana is one of the first states, and I think South Carolina was one of those states as well, to um, uh, institute bans against Black folk reading. Mm. So, again, this whole idea of <laughs> we're going to teach a history of Black folk fighting for us and our freedom. In that history, we're not going to talk about all the Black folk who were fighting for the British against the american colonies because they were thinking that hey we have a better chance of getting our freedom over here Mm -hmm. they don't teach that part right so it's it's all this 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 is why i love history and i get amped up and passionate about it because i feel like we walk around and we we don't really claim um our we don't understand that inside of us is this warrior code, this freedom fighter code, right? And we allow someone else to tell us the story of how we stand up for freedom, but not really un- understand the true depth of it, right? So when you read that quote by Asada, again, that gets me all hyped again, mm-hmm. because it's all about you know, keeping us subdued, Power. it's keeping us living in the matrix, mm-hmm. really seeing what's, what's happening out here.
2: Yeah. But I think the other thing is we can be upset. We can see the fight for critical race theory and all of this happening. And I know the whole podcast may not be about that, but I think I am not looking for you to save me anymore. Right. I am not, and I'm not saying you're saying that either, but I think right now the onus is, I mean, we can be fighting the schools and all that, right. There's, I mean, there's space, there's, there's, honor to us speaking up right we have that right to speak up and say hey no this should be in the schools we want to learn this but then there's a flip side both of these run in parallel to me so yeah I'm going to speak up at my school my kid's school and say this happens here it should happen here but then as a parent there's an opportunity for me to shape and reshape what my child knows so I want us to always know that we have an out we don't have to wait we don't have to depend we have the right to speak up we're paying our tax dollars are going to let's be clear our tax dollars are paying for these schools, are paying for these constructs where we're sending our kids, but we also have an opportunity to do that work ourselves because again, they're not going to teach us this. And I don't want to make this like we're bashing white people. There's so many, so many amazing we got customers, we got allies, Mm -hmm. we got a lot of people who are standing neck and neck and hand in hand with us years when you think about what Mm -hmm. black history looked like and what the struggle looks like. So there are people there, but man, it's just it's just crazy where Mm -hmm. we are. And the fight that we continue to have to be in for our American history and the school systems that are there. But what's your next question? We can get right. Well, uh,
0: just just you mentioning, um, uh, you know, what you can do as parents. I mean, how was your own uh, kind of like political formation, just your interests, what you cared about? How was that informed by, uh, you know, mahogany? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that like
1: what what, what was up? Meaning mahogany to store mahogany. Our, da- our, our daughter. <laughs> oh, sorry, your daughter. Your daughter. Um, you know, I think it's it's all one and the same, right? And I think what Ramonda is saying, you know, it it, get, it drives home why why we do what our what we do because the our understanding our innate understanding that black books matter because the idea of that from what started with the readings that we did, uh, for you know, it really kind of. Um, got us moving in this direction in college, mm-hmm. right? To 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 learn about freedom fighters who fought to be seen, um, and didn't and didn't do it in the way that uh, America would like us to do it. We, they did it. They did it the way that they did it, right? Um, those moved us in this direction, and it helped to embed in us the whole. You know, we didn't have a phrase in in college at mm-hmm. the time. But the idea was that black books matter, mm-hmm. our voices matter, our stories matter um, and fast forward, I think it when you're reading and this is interesting because i've I'm, I started reading um, uh, race first uh, mm-hmm. last night for our book club. Um, mm-hmm. It's a book by Tony Martin uh, talking about the uh, formation and um philosophies of Marcus garvey mm-hmm. so in chapter mm-hmm. one he he gives a biographical sketch Mm -hmm. of uh, who he was, where he came from, how he got to uh, become who he was. And he spent so much time talking about one of the differences of him as a peasant in Jamaica and all the other peasants was his father had a huge library. So he'd spend a lot of his time reading, right? So it all comes back to this idea of reading of access to information that is uncensored by the predominant power, right? So how at it, it, any time when you start reading and start getting these new ideas, right? It starts informing your, uh, your ideologies. It starts give, expanding the possibility of what you can believe and what you wanna stand for, right? And if that's, uh, you know, if that takes you down the road of a conservative person, then fine, so be it right but it does it for every person. What you read helps to start form, uh, formulating your ideology um, and how you believe you know you want to live your life and for some people, it instigates them to want to tell other people how they should live their lives mm-hmm. right but it's the same idea for us in mahogany, right and what we've learned what we've read, what we continue to read now are the same things that we share with her, Mm -hmm. right? Now, she's not, she doesn't read those kind of books, but we have those conversations about what is freedom, right? What is passion and living authentically and true to yourself, right? And we don't like try to put it in a context of a political party, but what are the values that, that mean that are foundational to you so in any part of your life when you go from high school to adulting right you have this um Mm -hmm. this north star that you can follow at any time to say okay whether I'm take this job or this job I'm gonna go to Germany or stay in you know in Brooklyn is based on these ideals so if I'm gonna be teaching right or creating a curriculum around environmental justice, my North star has been formed based on yeah. my reading and what is true to me, because I feel every person should have lived their life or have access to the freedom, not tell them how to, what their value should be, but have access to a certain type of freedoms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we we try to, I, I know, I try to give her mm-hmm. <laughs> certain kind of books. Yeah hasn't worked out well but we still have those conversations and a lot of it is informed by what we've we've read.
2: Yeah and I think too it's as a parent right that's a whole different dynamic you know how do you you know share your own ideologies your own ideas and things you've formulated from what you read right Mm -hmm. Because we have our ideas and the, the interests our own interests in the books but then also there's a line like, what if my child isn't interested in that? How do we give them that space mm-hmm. to form and blossom into who they are and not to who we are, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a balance like, and you better read this. You need to read a sonnet because it's so powerful. But then oh, what if I want to read this dystopian type thing? And right. so how do I make room for that, that person to blossom and be, Black people are not a monolith. We read everything, right? We sell all kinds of books by Black people. So I think how we talk to our child and it's just sharing who we are, right? We talk about culture all day, she's exposed to it. Our house is full of black books, right? And she's at book signings where she's been at those book signings. Um, She was two when we started, I was trying to think, she was two when we started this business. So she's been immersed in meeting John, uh, Congressman John Lewis and Misty Copeland and all these, she's seen them and met them and even as a little kid. So this has been her life. So for her, it's not anything we're different. It's just like, okay, we met another person today. We met I went to Stacey Abrams on an interview I just did with Stacey Abrams a long ago. And Stacy Abrams was like, hey, so she's immersed in it. But I think for us, she hears those conversations when we sat at dinner as a little kid, we could talk about culture, community, and what we saw in the news and how our ideologies were formed and our, our North Star was formed off of the books that we read. But there's giving for her, giving her the space and the freedom to read what she wants. So she does have those things and our ideas planted in her. All parents do. All parents are teaching their kids what they think is right. Whether it's right or wrong, it's how we choose to parent. But she has the freedom to read what she wants. So does she read tons of Black history books? No, she doesn't. Is she a voracious reader? Is her bookshelf off the chain in, in her room? It is. You know, most kids, you know, for Christmas, they want these toys and this is toys. And she's like, Mom, I just want bigger bookshelves. She was telling them big bigger bookshelves. I'm like, you don't want this gadget or even this. No, I want bigger bookshelves. So we, big bookshelves in a room. Two yeah, it's just out of control. We can, <laughs> uh, so she's a huge reader. So that's something that I think we're very proud of that we are raising a person. Yes, if she's not reading tons of black history, she's hearing tons of black history. Exactly. Reading, and I think for me, I'm excited because what she is reading will continue to blossom. I think those two worlds will merge. It just can't, it, she can't, right. I think it can't help it, but i love that she has the freedom to do and be who she is she might not even want to run mahogany books even though we're trying to you know <laughs> say hey when you want to do this but right. i think just giving her and any child the freedom to be themselves or have their own ideologies we, we as parents we have lived our own truths our own ideologies but we have to give that respect and that honor and that joy to our own kids so we'll see yeah. I feel like she has her own shoes to fill and she's brilliant and amazing and is a huge reader. So anyway, so it has impacted how we raise her, but right. also room for her to create her own self. And mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. And, you know, uh-huh. I mean, getting to a bit of a personal story, I mean, I remember in ninth grade how it was like, oh, you're in high school now. Things are serious. No more time and space to like be yourself. This is about getting to college. Um, And luckily, you know, by the time that I was transitioning into college, uh, my one main priority was just reading more of my own books, right, that I was interested in. Um, And I feel really grateful for that, but completely attributed to just our parents' own libraries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, something that we think a lot about is how school really ends up ruining reading for so many young adults and adults, right? Like, uh, I feel like, I'm definitely, uh, like, the three of us, me, uh, us two, our sister, Mahogany, right, like, are almost, unfortunately, exceptions to the rule, it feels like, um, where a lot of kids graduate from school or don't graduate, but just leave their, their school experience and never want to pick up a book again, right, and, you know, I think that was something, that was a question that I actually had the first time that I was in uh, your store, where I felt incredibly you know, blown away. I was in there dancing, talking to everybody. Like I'm never that like gregarious, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I've never, never got that energy, but I was just wondering like, man, like if only more people could even be, you know, willing or have the mind to step into the store, then more people could feel it. But there's all this, there's all this, you know, uh, tied up in a book, right. Mm-hmm. Um, like talking about, you know, slave codes and everything, books are being banned, uh, at the same line as guns right and then you think now and like guns are cool but books are being banned like this is really what we're talking you know what i'm saying like um so there's clearly so much tied up just in black people's own relationships to books and how they've been used against us um so i'm wondering like what you what thoughts you have just on what it takes to kind of uh re-inspire that reader within every person mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. well i think it's um Probably what you said it's finding yourself in books and that's what we did with mahogany is you know i remember taking her to the bookstores and wanting her to read this this and this and it just got to the point where i was like okay the deal is i'll buy you what you want if you read one of my books right that became the deal okay and well if you finish the books then i'll go and buy you more books and she got to pick her books so it didn't matter what the book was because even in sci-fi dystopian fiction, there are ideas that can enlighten people. The question is now, what is the context and how are we challenging those ideas, right? What, what does that mean? So let's, let's take that and put that in real life, right? One of our favorite series is the Illuminae series, right? And this, this book trips me out because the main character she just absolutely loved and she would talk about what he was doing and blah, blah, blah. He was an artificial intelligence and wanting to create uh, the perfect space uh, for people. But in order to do it, he had to do certain things that was very hard line against humans. So we just had conversations about that, right? It's not about uh, uh, your ethnicity, but it's about the idea of freedom, challenging the thoughts, and what does that mean for you, for everyone else? Okay, because it's good for you, because you like it. What about your friend over here, right? So it's letting people find themselves in the books. So when they, people come into the store um, and they're looking around, one of the questions I just ask them is, what are you into,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? It's not, you know, oh, I'm gonna give you this book. You need to be reading Malcolm X. You haven't read black history before. No, what are you into? Because if you're into poetry, you can go from um, Maya Angelou to to Amiri Baraka. You can go to Sonia Sanchez. You can find, uh, who's the brother now? Just Jericho. Um. There's incredible writers right now covering a litany of issues, right? Love to LGBTQ issues. Again, back to uh, black empowerment, black self-love right there's so much so the question isn't the question is what do you want what do you what do you see for yourself yeah. and we can and our stance is we can find a book for you doesn't matter what you what your what your answer is
3: mm-hmm.
1: we're going to find a book that you love so that you can find yourself in it and want to jump to that next book yeah.
0: mm-hmm. every answer is the right answer at that point mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
2: When I think when I think of you know your question about there's so much pent up even people just buying a book I think some people um, feel some type of way like even walking into a black bookstore if they're not black they they feel like ooh should I be here is this you know and I'm like it's everybody's history like we talked about before and so and we have amazing customers who shop online with us amazing people coming to the store but I think there's an an opportunity for them to unlearn too to go in and say you know what this is. This isn't is some radical type. I don't know. You know, it's a it's a book. It's a book about history. It's a book about poems. It's a book about cooking, you know, but it's coming from a Black person's lens. I think everybody's lens needs to reformulate, needs to expand, and some people are ready to do that, and some people are, like, nervous and feel like, are we betraying what we've been taught? I mean, it's a crazy. A lot of psychosis that goes into walking into a bookstore, especially if it's a Black bookstore, so there's energy around that, but I think for us, we have those people who come in and just are at that point in their development, at that point in their lives where they're open to learning. And I'm talking about people that are not Black. People who are like, "Oh my gosh, I, I'm at this point where I want to learn, where I need to learn, where I'm ready to learn." So it's cool. It's it's amazing to be in a space where people in a time where people are. I think now moving to a space where they are open to learning, are open to engaging and. And shaking what they've been taught, right? They've been taught too. They've been taught, oh, I'm superior. Oh, I'm this. I'm the, and so understand There's a whole other lens that it was working in tandem. I think to see that is cool. Sometimes it's a little disheartening. Like now you're just seeing it, but then now a lot of black people just, see, you know, we weren't exposed to that, so it's just weird kind of confluence of events happening. But um, just excited to be in a space to. Um, offer those type of opportunities and breakthroughs for people, no matter who they are. So, but yeah, it's it's yeah. It's, cool. it's it's amazing to to mm-hmm. have a business that <clears throat> not just as a business. We both love business, got degrees in business, enjoy that, but then also wraps culture and community all mm-hmm. into one, and we get to design it and create it how we see fit. And it's it's a it's a gift. It's a it's a blessing. That's
4: so amazing. Uh- So I have a bit of a fun question going off of of that. I would say as like bookstore owners, y'all have like a front row seat to how like culture is like created. Like y'all are like anthropologists of the first order because like you (laughs) are literally seeing what folks are interested in and like hearing them talk about it. So I'm like really curious, like over time since 2020 or whatever years you want to kind of base off of like, what have you seen? Like folks are really interested in in reading. What are the books that you all think are too popular, or need to be <laughs> more popular? Uh, books that are under underrated. Like, what do you, uh, what do you all think there? Like, what are folks talking about in? That's your a huge story?
1: question.
2: All right, Miles. That,
1: yeah, that is. I, I love it. That's and I never even thought of it um, in, <clears throat> from that lens. But that's a really uh, interesting question. Uh, I would need a lot more time to think about it. The the things that come to mind um, uh, with that question though, is I I noticed, uh, and maybe this is because of my lens, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I noticed more women reading science fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting shift um, not that women have changed, but um, the industry is changing, right? When you create access in one area, right? opportunity, uh, when you, and not opportunity is the word, when you open the doors, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> in one area, you get a response. It's cause and effect in another area. So because there are more Black women writing science fiction now, you have more Black women reading science fiction, right? And you get more stories, more science fiction stories of with, with Black women leads
3: mm-hmm.
1: in it, right? And you get a different tone um, and um, feel from those books. It's less pew, 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 laser swords, right? Dragons and hot breath. It's it's rooted it's thoughtful it's about um, the it's about the ultimate um, connection of people regardless if they're spread across the entire galaxy or if it's dealing with um, and I'm thinking a specific book two people I'm thinking of that I think uh, when people
3: okay. um,
1: get access to the book, when they hear about them, they always come back for more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's N.K. Jemison
3: mm-hmm. and
1: the Broken Earth uh, trilogy mm-hmm. and Nettie Uh, Corfor. uh mm-hmm. and she has a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two writers, um, to me, uh, symbolize the shift in, what um science fiction is right uh and how again we limit or put stereotypes on what people are what they think what they feel it's usually been oh women aren't into science fiction right Mm -hmm. um it's something that they have no interest in but come to find out they do Right? And they, they love it and they're writing it and they're doing extremely well at it. Mm-hmm. And there are books that um, like, so I think about Mahogany, these ideas, they aren't hardcore <clears throat> history facts about who did this, who did that, that and why, but again, it's challenging ideas,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? So that for me is where um, I've seen, movement and change, right? And how it um, has um, grown over time. So even when we first started, it wasn't like that 15 years ago, right? Trying to find uh, science fiction books, one written by black folk, right? Two written by black women, it was very hard. You just really kind of talked about Octavia Butler and Tananarive Dew. Right, and they're all-time uh, classics. But after that, you might've had, uh, I forget, Melo Hopkinson mm-hmm. um, as well. But it was far and few uh, between, yeah. but now it's, um, it's changed. And so that's yeah. where I've seen uh, some uh, shift at. And those are two of the writers, I think, that um, both, that both represent that change the best.
2: That genre just exploded with black people, though. Too, it, it was full of white people that was writing about those those experiences and those those you know far away, distant, creative, imaginative. But we had we had those stories too. But I don't think we ever had the either the buy-in, maybe from the industry to have those exposed. So it's just gonna there's been a huge shift in the amount of writers that are in that category. But I think also to the other side of your question about you know what do we feel like we want people to read or you know what I would love to see more of um i want to see more bi- books about business written by black people right because i think entrepreneurship is a whole other thing Yeah. You know, so we have a bookstore but there the the tools and and the, the the blueprint i think there's a space and we have books in our so but that section could be more and there's so many black people running businesses so now to take the time to write a book that's a whole different thing but a lot of us are still even just getting access to have business access to the capital and things of that nature. But I am craving for more in that category, to be honest, because I know what it means to take your destiny in your own hands, for you to be the boss, for you to make the decisions, for you to have this creative idea and now have the wherewithal to execute on. But we we don't have that blueprint all the time. And so I would love to see more of that on our shelves, more people stepping out. Heck, maybe we need to write one. On, I don't know, but I was I think- about
0: to say it. I was like, so what you're telling me is you're working on the book right now. You got that proposal, <laughs> the manuscript, the I-
2: yeah, I'm trying to brainwash them over here. <laughs> we might, but I think though, but there's space for us. And for young people, there was a paradigm shift for me growing up to where it was when I was in college and we were taught to just get a, get a job and do well. And then while I was in college, the end of my college, it was, no, you can create the jobs. And so I think if we get, get tools to young people to say, no, you can create the jobs. Here's the book. Here's how you can learn on what it means to create staffing in your place, what it means to manage leaders, what it means to cultivate people who want to be dynamic team members. Like those books written from our perspective, I think changes not just, it changes a lot. It changes where we live. It changes our zip code. When you're the boss and your income is contact, connected to that, it changes a lot of things. So, and that comes from reading and learning and hearing it from our perspective. But I also, I mean, I, I love older books. Derek re- a lot, reads a lot of different things, but I still stuck with, now Valley Civilization. I think people need to be reading that. I still feel, I mean, mm-hmm. people need to read ISIS papers. People need to read um, um, Miseducation of the Negro. So there's some foundational pieces there that a lot of us haven't even read. Like some of those books are you know banned or not even sold in bookstores. So those can become the foundation of what we read even after that. So I feel like go get that and then we can read something else. Oh, yeah. But um, I wanna see more business books. I just, from our perspective, our lens out there. So but anyway. I-
1: can I give an extra no, another plug? Husband. Yes, I no. am. No. <laughs> um, only because, and this is what the brothers, right? Okay. Because uh, it's not something that. So again, when we talk about again that old term of like the anthropological lens, right, mm-hmm. and a shift in what we're seeing happening, you know, within our community and with our culture, um, with there are a number of uh, Gen Xers, our age Gen Xers. Mm-hmm younger Xers and the older line of millennials who are now like upper thirties, early forties who are writing books. Mm-hmm. And these guys who have begun to um, learn what it is to be a man earlier and mm-hmm. to broaden that definition, right? And to be able to do that work is changing, um, what Black men write about in books. So I'll, I'll even start with ta Hesey Coates, right? So his very first book, The Beautiful mm-hmm. Struggle, which I, I don't know if that quote came from that, but it felt like um, uh, that book was for me the first time I found uh, a guy my age talking about um, removing the mask uh, that America places on our faces, mm-hmm. right? of acknowledging, hey, I'm a nerd. I ain't no thug. I'd rather be by myself reading my comic books. (laughs) I ain't trying to fight nobody. I don't really like school, but if I have to go, I ain't trying to get in no trouble, right? Just let me get in and out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we have more writers from Connie C. Coates to David Young, what uh, kills you makes you blacker. Mm -hmm. What doesn't kill you makes you blacker. Mm -hmm. He uh, has a Lem- uh, layman mm-hmm. with heavy,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? Those three books are specifically talking about things that guys, black men, um, we talk about our, with ourselves sometimes. We don't necessarily talk about it with our partners, right? Mm-hmm. And we never talk about it like in the media. We hadn't before of us having emotions and feelings and being scared of certain things and dealing with trauma, it was always boom, where uh, leaders- Macho. Macho, mm-hmm. want to step out and just do, and not talk about the stuff inside. So those three books for me have also indicated a shift in how, which to me is a very, very positive thing. This is why I wanted to, wanted to bring them up and that getting men at earlier ages to acknowledge and accept vulnerability, to be able to talk about it and to be able to do the work it, they need to at younger ages so they can acknowledge these things now, not just in their forties and upper thirties, but hopefully in their twenties mm-hmm. right, in their teens so that we can be better partners earlier, right? For our significant others and be better leaders for our community earlier because we can accept vulnerability and not having to be strong all the time. Because if you do that, you just want to crack, right? Crash most people will crack. There are Jeez. a few that, that won't, mm-hmm. but most people will. So you have to acknowledge those uh, weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And those three books for me um, uh, indicate a shift in it. So even Charlemagne the God, his book. Yeah. Privilege and um was it right? yeah Yeah. talking about anxiety and stuff like that. Mental health, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those it's it's an important step um in how we start to fracture and dismantle the stereotype, um, this mask placed on black men and us being willing to take it off ourselves and just reject it when some people try to put it on us, right? So those are um books that I encourage people to read, right? Um, but I see as well as a shift in uh, what's being published.
2: Yeah, I think just to add to that too, when I think of what's being published, there's this whole dialogue and conversation. You're talking about constructs from a, a religious aspect. You know, we talk about Dante Stewart has a book, I think it's Shouting from the Shouting from the Fire. And then now recently, Candace benbows Bin, book, Red Lip Theology. So even that shifted, mm. what we've been taught from religion, we know how where we've gotten a lot of our religious mm-hmm. um, aspects and teachings and all that, but to see us coming up and saying, wait a minute, no, nah, all this stuff we've been taught, mm, let's step back and examine it from our perspective, because we had somebody else teaching us this, right, what it meant to, what Jesus looked like, what God looked like, and
3: mm-hmm. there's
2: so many people now, which I love, young people, millennials out here, just like, no, nah, let's, let's challenge that, let's open let's break open this whole can of worms. Cause that's a worm that black, we get really, really protective of, right? And so I love seeing these books that are out here and it seems to be more and more of those books that are coming out and being brazen about their thoughts and ideas about what religion looks like, what, and taking it for ourselves and making it our own versus it being somebody else's. So those two books that are right now that just came out of last year, I know Candace mm-hmm. book just came out, Red Lip mm-hmm. Theology. Oh, I love oh, the title.
3: Yeah, that's a-
2: um, Great cover, too. Yeah, Yes, but her, it's mm-hmm. called, the subtitle to me, it's called um, Red Lit Theology for Church Girls who Consider Considered Tying Into the Beauty Supply Store When Sunday Morning Isn't Enough. So we yeah. got all- <laughs> little,
0: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> That's crazy.
2: And there's another one, too. Um, um, just really talking about, just breaking down the constructs of what we've been taught when it comes to religion not spirituality. That's a different thing, but religion, right? What those mm. confines are. I'm a very spiritual person, but mm. the the things that we've been taught, the traditions and all that, I think there's a lot of people gravitating towards those books. Those books were not on the market so much in the past. Mm. From, these perspective, not to, from these perspectives, I don't care what anybody said, this is my truth. And I want to share that. This is how I'm, how I'm viewing religion. So I love that we're digging into that. I think more people seem to be digging into it there's so many studies that show black people are fleeing from the church for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. so seeing these voices out there and talk about that i think is uh, amazing so yeah
0: mm. wow so clearly it's not just the business book there's also this you know anthropological mm-hmm. cultural curator book coming out too <laughs> i to read okay. all this i'm just saying you know like just off the transcript of this interview alone <laughs> really that's mm-hmm. incredible um I have another uh total total change of conversation but it's it's related um i was wondering ramunda if uh uh you could share more about your experience with african ancestry have you been to bioko island yet Uh, and uh i don't derek i don't know if you did it but ramunda ramunda's all over that website and you know you have the partnership with them so Yep, exactly. You mm-hmm. didn't even know, you know <laughs> with them with them saying them saying beautiful earrings too. You know, just like, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. But you know, I have not been to Bioko Island, and I'm so excited. We have that partnership with African Ancestry too. You know, you always wonder. You know, when you live here, you know, where am I from? Where is that connection from? But I haven't been to Bioko Island when we had our when I had my um, DNA and ancestry looked at I was so excited and I went to the internet and I shared it with all my family because once one person in your family takes it it's it's the lineage of all of you you guys have the same DNA right especially from there's the they do maternal uh-huh maternal. yeah a maternal side and a paternal side um and so I took the maternal test it's called something else matrix I forgot what the Matriclan. actual plan yes matric plan yeah. and patrick plan thank you um so I took the matric plan test and everybody who came from my grandmother you know men and all down have that same lineage so when one of us took it, it it was it was for all of us right so yeah when I was that was just an amazing opportunity so I'm all on the group chat with the family we're googling Bioko island I'm showing them my certificate that shows the lineage and it breaks down what percentage I am um, of it so it's just you know it's it's amazing to have that revelation and to be in a world where we're having these type of revelations is kind of crazy but it's needed because we don't know we we were you know we know the story how we got here and so to be disconnected from my roots is just crazy hmm. so i'm excited that their, you know african ancestry even exists and the type of work that they do and the research and the analysis that they have and it's a black owned company which even adds to the to the the greatness of it but yeah haven't been there yet it's on my list um i got my shirt that says i'm you know i'm repping bioko island and all that kind of stuff just the yeah. pride that i now have connected to that are you giving me the i, I thought you're giving me a look like because we'd be in here battling he's found he's from nigeria so you know yeah, is like is, you're a bus, so you know he's walking around with his Nigerian shirt on.
4: Of course, <laughs> of course.
2: So, but um, but yeah, it's it's a gift that we're excited that you know so many people are stepping out and saying, "I really want to know where mm-hmm. I'm from. I want that connection. I deserve that connection." So yeah, haven't been there yet to answer your question. Mm-hmm. One day we'll go. Have looked online at it, looked at the people. It's funny. The people that we saw there looked like relatives in my family.
0: Exactly, I mean, yeah. it's
2: crazy. Wow. I Carolina, wow. no, that looks, like, you
0: know. So, yeah, one day. That's wow. No, the the no, the genetic diversity in Africa is so crazy. Like, I was literally when I first went there, I was seeing like people that resembled white people I knew, like not only friends and family, but I was like, wow, you look like yeah, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, just the diversity alone. It's more it's more genetically diverse than anywhere else in the world
2: started
0: yeah. yeah what are you all looking forward to in 2022 any other special guests
4: or crazy uh, events that we need to fly down to dc for right
3: right
1: for the Book anything um
3: <laughs> <laughs> honestly I,
1: I'll, I'll, <coughs> if we me. can make there's a couple of things that we have on our list of uh projects mm. um the thing that I'm really looking forward to is <clears throat> the content is to go from being just a uh, repository of information to um, being more proactive with it and talk help having people talk about the implications of that information, right? Um, because it's one thing to uh, to have it, but we need to fashion it into a tool, right? Like um, it needs to become, you know, if you're a, you know, comic book nerd like me, it needs to become like a Captain America shield, right? So it's defensive, but offensive at the same time so that we can start to be more um, expedient in the transformation of our communities, right? Uh, Dealing with gentrification. I know you're dealing with it up in New York. Right. We dealing with it big in B.C., but there's business books that, mm-hmm. you know, Ramonda's talking about. Like if you want to read Claude Anderson, mm-hmm. um, Paranomics, Paranomics and Black Labor, White Wealth, there's a bunch of stuff there that we can be uh, using to help to drive, you know, our current responses and form mm-hmm. our strategies and how we confront these issues. But it requires, um, you know, just it requires the, the, the transformation of moving from reactive to proactive. And again, this, I, I'm really excited about this Marcus Garvey book, just his history. Like this dude formed so many different
3: mm-hmm.
1: enterprises to confront the issues of uh, racism, right? So from newspapers to Laundromats to all, I mean, all these different things. And that's what needs to, you know, I feel like reading, I was like, oh my God, this is like so much, so good. I wouldn't even be doing this now. <laughs> like, this is incredible
3: mm-hmm. because
1: we, we need to begin to, we have the information, we have the capacity, we have the people power the know how. We just need to start moving it forward. And I think one thing I want Mahogany Books to, uh, to do to become is to start to again start pointing at the information with a bigger highlighter mm-hmm. you know not just having it on the shelves but going out to people say hey this is here here's a subject matter expert talking that's already working here y'all need to come together more people need to come together around this thing and use it for um, our uh, empowerment for our betterment so that's what i'm looking for is us to become more on the mm-hmm. content side of it um, and just pushing it more so that we can actually start utilizing it um, instead of just having it as, you know, information in our, in our head.
2: Yeah, really for me when I think of, you know, you're saying events to fly into or what we're looking for 2022. Uh, we're still putting things together, you know, uh, it's been this delicate balance of, are we, is the world opening back up or is it not? Are we doing these in person? Yeah. We, you know, yeah. we, you know, Black History Month is here and all of our events were online, dynamic, I mean, dynamic events dynamic events but they were online so I'm just and people email us all the time my inbox is full of oh I got this author I got this author can he host them so I'm just like oh I want to host it but do I want to do it in person or are we going to do it online so right. all the time, I'm still putting pieces in place for authors even somebody's email stuff about September to October but um hmm. no big you know I don't know I think all authors are big to me whether they're this a celebrity or not um, um, all their work is important and valuable. But yeah, so no big ones yet, but different initiatives that we're working on for 2022. Mm-hmm. We want to highlight more independent authors, more local authors, right? We're in D.C. D.C. Is, um, in, in, um, in, um, has been named one of the most literate cities, right? So there's tons of people who are reading, but then we have tons of people who are writing. So how do we shine a light on those people? So that's something that um, we're looking at doing this year is highlighting a lot of those local people in um, and, and one event. How do we do that and, and celebrate the people that are here locally? So you'll see that coming from us. And then also last year, Black Books Matter Day became a real thing in Prince George's County, which is one of the you know most wealthiest Black counties in the nation. And so this year is putting more energy and celebration around that now that it's an official proclamation, official day for us. But wow. How do we bring the community, you know, Black Books Matters right. is, is for everybody, right? So people who are not exposed to Black Books now can come out and, and celebrate Black literature and authors and and be a part of that celebration. So that's something that we're looking at by the end of the year too. But then there's whole other things business-wise, strategy-wise that we're trying to do behind the scenes that, you know, we like, we think we're innovators out here and we've been doing business for 15 years. And so there's things that even take this industry bigger than ourselves, the black book industry, and solidify some points in that industry that we think would benefit not just us at all, it's bigger than us. And and help the goal is to help um, push the needle forward for all of the black, for a lot of black book stores. So that's in the back, that's in the vault. Yeah. miles.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess the only question is, do you have a job? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> do you have a <laughs> do we have-
4: <laughs> you no, know, y'all are doing such amazing work, and I'm I'm coming to DC at the very start of May, so I really might come straight from oh, the bro. airport. I'll if, be there too. G. If you see a stranger, <laughs> you know, with a suit, suitcase, you know, trying to pile in books buying books just straight in, in into the suit, suitcase, that will be me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. matter of yeah. fact, matter of
0: yeah. fact, we'll both be there. We'll yeah.
4: Both yeah. Be
2: there. Yeah. We might have to go grab some dinner. There's a lot of places in. At National Heart, we can go grab some dinner with you guys. So. That would be
0: awesome.
4: That was yeah. awesome. But thank you so much for joining us this Saturday morning and just talking about books. You know, this is our favorite thing to talk about, both both of us, but um, it's really just
0: a blessing, seriously. So yeah, thank you. Incredible blessing. So grateful for both of y'all. Thank um, you, thank
2: you, man, thank having you us. for having us on Real Ballers Read. It's an honor. We love the energy and the intention that you guys are putting behind this podcast. So just onward, onward for what you guys are doing.
4: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Ballers Read podcast. You can shop at Derek and Ramunda's online storefront for Mahogany Books at mahoganybooks.com and shop from their collection of thousands of different books. You can also find Revolutionary Suicide by Huey Newton and Asada's autobiography there in their collection. Thank you for listening again, and we'll catch you next time.